Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Friends, please pray with me. God, who holds our grief in all of its forms, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of the hearts of all those who hear them be acceptable to you. Amen. There's a question that many of us like to ask in our weakest or perhaps in our strongest moments. And it's a question that tries its hardest to relate us in the midst of our ordinary human experience to God. It's a question I have personally asked after getting pulled over for a speeding ticket. I've asked it in the middle of a fight with a partner while making a life-changing decision in the moments I've given into a vice, in the moments immediately after doing something I regret, when I'm feeling completely overwhelmed. And it's not what you're expecting. It is not what would Jesus do. The question I like to ask is, I wonder if Jesus ever dot, dot, dot. I wonder if Jesus ever had a morning after the wedding at Cana headache. I wonder if Jesus ever felt heartbreak. I wonder if Jesus ever doubted he was about to make the right call. I wonder if Jesus ever got delayed onset muscle soreness after standing up for hours on end in a rocky boat on the Sea of Galilee. I wonder if Jesus ever wept out of frustration that his ministry wasn't enough. I wonder if Jesus ever screamed in anger at his mother and slammed the door, cursed out his friends, raised his fist at the system that was failing so many people around him. I wonder if Jesus ever. There is an argument to be made here based on what we define to be the S word, not the one you heard in the Alanis Morissette song, but the one John used last week, sin. Jesus is the one that we call sinless. St. Paul in our scriptures even describes him as perfect, the second Adam, a man without blemish. And yet, whether your spirituality believes in the fully divine part or not, Jesus was fully human. And with that humanity comes the breadth and the depth of physical and emotional states that we have all felt. There is something comforting about the, re- the realization that if Jesus was sinless and yet still felt things like anger, that we should be able to welcome those emotions into our life without the guilt that so often accompanies them too. I take great comfort in Jesus having sat in the five stages of grief. That's what we're looking at this season of Lent, grief. We haven't got to the Garden of Gethsemane yet, the place at the end of our Lent journey where Jesus bargains, fights, pleads, cries, and accepts his fate as one who is to be crucified. But when we do, we see nothing short of a human response to the realization that he is about 
to lose his life. I take comfort in this because what Jesus touches is called blessed. All of the things that we never thought could be called blessed. Jesus says that isn't so. Blessed are those in mourning. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hopeless. Blessed are the social justice warriors. Blessed are the suffering. I take comfort in this because our grief then is good. We entered into Lent last week in a very real way. This is a Lent for the realist, as John quoted Bill Phipps. This Lent is a 40-day period where we are invited to sit in it all. The loss of the last two years, the daily injustice we experience or hear about, the wars that are being fought, the economic hardship many of us are facing, the crying out of our planet, the polarization of society. This is what's real. And we are being called to recognize it, not revel in it, as we said last week. Lent is not some kind of self-flagellating suffering Olympics, but to allow the reality of our collective grief to hurt. We return to our RAIN series a few weeks back. You can't heal it if you can't feel it. We hurt. We are invited to hurt without numbing, without explaining, without tying on the pretty bow. We hurt because God is here in this too. Good grief does not mean that the emotional roller coaster we are on seems bearable. It means it is blessed. The collective grief of humanity right now is not hard to witness. We see it most easily in the extremes. We see it in the anger around us. We see it in our own anger. And we don't know what to do do with it? If this is good grief, how do we make the leap? How do we take this red hot rage and do something with it? How can our anger be of service? How will this ever move us forward as opposed to making us ill or recluse or fearful or cynical? I wonder if Jesus ever. Our reading from this morning says, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox for me. I wanted to title this sermon for fox sake, but I thought it might be too soon to bring that kind of scandal upon us. <laughs> but the answer is yes, Jesus did. Jesus did let the frustration bloom into an outburst. Jesus did experience moments of righteous indignation. Jesus did feel the hot sensation of anger crawl up his throat. And friends, this is good news. Richard Rohr, the founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation and a modern mystic, developed a theology of anger in response to the circumstances of the world that our faith cannot and should not try and escape. Rohr claims that anger is sacred in that it calls us to wake up, to establish our boundaries, 
and to turn despair into action. I often follow up the question, I wonder if Jesus ever, with that other question I mentioned earlier, then what would he do? Because Jesus' love-made living is not one to let his grief halt the working of the Spirit in the world. Jesus says to the Pharisees, go and tell that fox for me, listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will finish my work. Listen, he says, Jesus makes a demand If we are to wake up to our anger, if we are to let it offer us sacred wisdom, if we are to make peace with it, or better, let it make peace in us, we must demand an audience with it. There's a story much like one we've heard in this community before, but I've taken this version from the work of Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who writes Women Who Run With the Wolves. This myth is a story about a woman whose husband has returned from years away at war. And when he's coming home, the woman is busying herself, cleaning the house so it's immaculate, preparing all of his favorite meals, putting everything she has into the hospitality of receiving her husband back. And when he returns, he refuses to step foot in the house. He stayed out in the forest and she would go out day after day after day to bring him this beautiful food she created and he would yell and scream and toss it aside, blinded by the rage of what he had experienced. Desperate, she visits a healer in town who tells her there's a cure for his behavior, but she must climb the mountain and retrieve a hair from the crescent moon bare. She takes days to reach the top of the mountain. And when she gets there, she lures the bear out with food and then hides in the bushes while the bear eats it. And this continues for days. Each day, the woman coming closer and retreating a little bit less every time the bear eats. Finally, she decides not to retreat at all. She stands in front of the bear, facing down the throat of an animal that could tear her apart. She is afraid, but she does not move. Instead, she demands from the bear an audience, asking him firmly but nicely to please provide a hair for the spell that will surely cure her ailed husband. Reluctantly, and after a lot of roaring, the bear agrees, and she returns to the healer. The healer takes the hair and tosses it into the fire. The woman is inconsolable. She went through all of that to obtain the hair. What am I supposed to do now? And the healer says to her, go. Take what you learned from the bear. You know what to do. This is not a patient or passive approach to anger. It is a brave facing of the beast and the demand of its attention. Because our anger does not want us to talk with it. It wants to clench us in its jaw, to burn hot and fast, striking all that's in its way, leaving only the ash. But when we demand an audience with it, when we say, listen, We are blessing it. 
When we stand in front of our anger with that intention, with the intention of calling it good, we finally have the chance for it to gift us the very thing that we are fighting for. When we demand an audience with our anger, we hear it tell us, this situation makes me feel unsafe. We hear it tell us, I care deeply about the future of this planet and I don't know what to do. We hear it tell us, I am terrified for the future of my children and my children's children. We hear it tell us, I feel helpless in the face of all the harm that my people have caused, that my people are continuing to cause. We hear it tell us, maybe I'm not welcome here, maybe I don't belong. When we demand an audience with our anger, we bless the grief we are carrying and we open ourselves to healing. Jesus continues yet today, and tomorrow and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Richard Rohr talks about his theology of anger as being a way into sacred boundaries. We hear Jesus declare here that he must be on his way. He must do the work that he set out to do despite the danger, despite the risk, despite the controversy. When we listen to our anger, it can show us what we are most deeply trying to protect. This past week, you've heard John speak about the memorial we held for the very Reverend Bill Phipps and over over again, I was awed by the stories, dozens of stories of his life that told of moments he set sacred boundaries that angered the masses. I remember in seminary having to read one of those moments, a quote from the interview that Bill did with the Ottawa Citizen in 1997, and the quote said, your soul is lost unless you care about people starving in the streets. That that is the voice of someone who has demanded an audience with their anger, who has let it declare where the lines are that cannot be crossed if love is to conquer over the grave. And that anger, that anger is one of the places we can meet God. There's a line in our Psalm 7. It says, God is a God who feels indignation every day. Every day. From the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane, we see God's anger and we are blessed to feel the same. Where we are squandering the promises of God, we should be angry. Where we betray one another for the sake of status or power, we should be angry. Where we destruct our relationships and our planet, we should be angry. Where we lynch those who behave or act differently from us, we should be angry. Where we abuse those who have no form of protection, we should be angry. This is not cause for guilt. This is cause for good. 
Jesus laments in this passage, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to protect you and you were not willing. I tell you, you will not see me again. In order for our anger to be of service, we need it to be of action. We all know the feeling of anger that stews too long in our bodies. We clench, we brace, we retreat, we wither, we explode, we lash out. But if this is blessed and it is, there is more we can do with it. We can let it speak. You do not need to exercise your anger screaming into a pillow, though it feels really, really good and you are welcome to. You do not need to squander it on the driver in front of you on your commute home. You don't need to comment on your high school classmates' Facebook page. You don't need to drown it. You don't need to stamp it out. You do not need for one moment to tell your anger that it is unclean and does not belong. It is blessed. So listen to it. Let it tell you what is breaking your heart, what is breaking God's heart, and then let it speak. Lament Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It is the anger that cries out, get out. It is the anger that cries no justice, no peace. It is the anger that cries every child matters. It is the anger that cries I can't breathe. It is the anger that cries Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And it is the anger that cries on the way to the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is the anger that is made love in the last words of Jesus into your hands. I commit my spirit. So let it speak. And as you let it cry out, remember that you are not alone. You stand in a long line of prophets and saints who have dared to be angry, dared, as Richard Rohr says, to turn their despair into action, dared to risk others' anger, dared to lament, dared to sit at the foot of the cross, dared to be nailed to the cross, filled with grief, and dared to say, this too is blessed. May it be so. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.